Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church, and welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but statistically speaking, today is the least attended church day of the entire year. And there's something about the Sunday that falls in between Christmas and the new year where people don't go to church, but guys, not you. You are here today, you are with us, and we wanna say welcome, we are so glad you're here. My name is Bob, I'm one of the pastors here at Abundant Life Church, and man, I hope you guys had a phenomenal Christmas celebration this week, whatever your Christmas looked like, uh, probably a little bit different this year, but man, we hope it was a good one for you. Uh, today, we are actually concluding our Christmas series, Let Every Heart. Now we've been in this series since December and together we've been unpacking that line in joy to the world that says, let every heart prepare him room. And that's been our goal this season is to prepare room for Jesus, for peace and love and joy and for hope. Our hope was that we would lean into the Christmas season together, that we would celebrate it really well, that we would reflect on Jesus' birth really well. But if you're here this morning, you are probably thinking, wait a second, Christmas is over. We are, we are now past Christmas. It's been a couple of days. Why are we still in the Christmas series? I would say that's a phenomenal question. Uh, you see, we wanted to conclude this series with the tension that exists for followers of Jesus today. You see, the people of God, they waited for a Messiah for centuries. And finally, in the birth of Jesus, the Messiah had arrived. And leading up to December 25th, we were in a season called Advent, the season of waiting in anticipation to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But as Christ followers today, we are also looking ahead to what is to come, where Jesus is going to come back and fully establish his kingdom. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit in this series, it's called the already but not yet tension that exists. Like the kingdom of God is already here, it showed up in Jesus, but it's not yet fully here. And the tension is that we live in between those two realities. Today, we live in between the already and the not yet. And you see, Advent is over. Christmas has come and gone, but as Christians, we are still waiting today. And so as we live in the in-between, the title for my message today is Let Every Heart Continue to Trust. And so if you have a Bible with you, whether it's a physical Bible or an app on your phone, go ahead and get that out and turn to Matthew chapter two. In Matthew two, we're gonna look at a story of some people who brought Jesus gifts after he was born. And so it makes a lot of sense that here we are a couple days after Christmas, we're still talking about the Christmas story because as we read this, you will recognize it as part of the Christmas story, but it actually happened after. You see what I did there? Uh, pick it up with me in Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they asked, where is the newborn King of the Jews? And remember that question, that's who they're looking for. Where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. 
So some magi come, it says wise men, but they're often referred to as magi or they're referred to as kings. Uh, We sing the song, Three Kings. Uh, We actually don't know, according to scholars, whether or not there were only three of them. It's actually suggested that there were probably many more than three that might mess up some of your manger scenes at home. Uh, But what's interesting is that in this culture, they definitely would not have been viewed as kings. They would not have been viewed as wise men. You see, in in Jewish culture, they would have been viewed as pagans. They did not believe in the Jewish God, Yahweh. Instead, quite the opposite. They were sorcerers. They were magicians. It's actually magic. It comes from that word magi. Uh, They were astrologers. They paid attention to the stars and would read the stars for universal truth and meaning. Uh, It's actually what brings them into this story. What we see here is that the gospel, it constantly flips our expectations upside down. And this happens over and over again. The wise men in this story, they are not the people at all that we would expect to be cognizant of Jesus' arrival. They certainly aren't the people that we would expect to be eager to go and worship Jesus. And yet here they are. Where is the newborn king of the Jews. This would be like uh, being at a Bears-Packers football game. All right, the best rivalry in sports, it's not even close. And you're at this Bears-Packers game in front row, there is this guy who's just hooping and hollering, he's cheering, he's going wild. And you look a little bit closer and he's just like street clothes and a Portland Trailblazers hat on. Everybody around him would be wondering, why is he here? Who is he rooting for? Like he, he's got the wrong sport. He's got the wrong city. You'd be left asking, why is he here? Or for you Pacific Northwest folks, it'd be like being at a Seahawks 49ers game and a rivalry that's you know, nowhere near as good as the Bears Packers, but it's a good rivalry, right? And there I am at this football game, I'm front row with all of my Bears get up on and I'm cheering and people would be left wondering, who is he cheering for? the same question would resound. Why is he here? Or for you folks that aren't fans of football, that's okay. An analogy for you, my wife and I have gotten into the Netflix show, uh, The Crown uh, recently. We're not normally into British TV, but we've really enjoyed uh, this show. And there's this one, there's this one scene in uh, season two where Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England, meets with the American evangelist, Billy Graham. And everybody in England is shocked. They're asking the same question because it doesn't make sense. They're asking, why is he in the story? You see, today we know the wise men, right? We've heard about the wise men. We have them in a manger scene. We expect them to be in the story, but first century listeners of this story, they would have said the same thing about the Magi. It would have caught them off guard. They would have been left wondering, why are they in the story? You see, at the very beginning of Matthew, we see foreshadowing of what is to come at the very end of Matthew. Some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. In Matthew 28, he's giving them final words of encouragement and instruction. And he says to them, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. What we find in Matthew, and it starts right here in Matthew 2 with these magi, 
is that this king will be a king for all people. Our trust today is in a king who says his kingdom is for all people, even the people that we do not expect to be in the story. Our king is a king for, for them. Uh, church, I would say even those who we don't want to be in the story, those who we want to be excluded, our king is a king even for them. And so the Magi come and they, they ask King Herod, where is this newborn king of the Jews? And in verse three, uh, we see his response. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. If you have your Bible in front of you, I would underline that phrase, deeply disturbed. Uh, your translation might say troubled. And so he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. You see, it would not have been expected for the Magi to be in this story. But the people we would expect, the people we would expect to be at the very front row of the story would have been the religious leaders of the day. It would have been the rest of Jerusalem, the Jewish people who were waiting for a Messiah. We'd very much expect them to be a part of the story, but where were they? What were they doing? We read that King Herod was deeply disturbed. He hears the news about this newborn king and he's deeply disturbed. And in turn, so is the rest of Jerusalem. You know, the group of people that had been waiting centuries for the Messiah, they're deeply disturbed. I don't know if you've ever waited for something for a long time. You know, you waited for it and you waited for it and you built up expectations of, of what it's gonna be like when you finally get it. And then you get to that point where you receive it, it happens, it comes to fruition. And of course, it couldn't possibly have lived up to the expectations that you set for it in the first place. The Messiah had arrived here. He had come and the people who should have been most excited about it, well, they were instead deeply disturbed. And we find out throughout the rest of the narrative that they were expecting a Messiah uh, but they were expecting a very different kind of Messiah. They were expecting a, a militaristic war hero conquering type of Messiah, someone who would free them from oppression. They were not expecting a baby born in a manger. And, and so Herod, he gets all the priests and the religious leaders together. And if you know the story, sides begin to develop. And Herod certainly is not gonna be on the side of Jesus. But what's surprising is neither will the religious leaders, neither will the priests. And I think part of the reason they missed it, part of the reason they missed Jesus is because they had their identity so wrapped up in politics. You know, the Magi are looking for the king of the Jews, but Herod, King Herod as king over Judea, he was the king of the Jews. And the Jewish leaders of the day, they had a really good thing going with Herod. I think they're an example of how we must view our politics through the lens of Jesus and not the other way around. I think it gets really dangerous when we mix these up. 
as we talk today about continuing to trust in Jesus, I think it's easy for Christians to put their trust in politics. And I would say put their trust in politics instead. I think if we make the mistake of trusting in politics, we are removing our trust from Jesus and we are replacing it with trusting in politics. Now, I think it's really dangerous. I also think it's really easy to know whether or not we're doing it. I think it's very easy to diagnose. You know, we just had an election. I mean, this is an election year. It just happened. I would suggest based on the recent election, it is very easy to diagnose whether or not you are trusting in Jesus or trusting in politics. It goes like this. If your hope, like your hopefulness is suddenly decreased, like, like if your hope is shaken because your political candidate lost, I would suggest it reveals where you are placing your trust. And the vice versa is also true. If you feel suddenly like you have more hope in the world, I would suggest to you it reveals where you are placing your trust. You know, we must constantly remind ourselves exactly where our trust is. And and whether you celebrated the results of the recent election or mourned them, our hope remains solely in the person of Jesus. You know, every good thing that we've talked about in this series, from peace to love, to joy, to hope, all of these things, Jesus is the source. And as we wait for him, again, as we're in this already, but not yet tension, we can receive the gifts of his presence right now, his hope. And they should impact the way that we live now. I mean, think about the hope of Jesus. Our hope rooted in him should, uh, should dramatically impact the way that we are living right now. Our hope for the future should change the way we live now. The reality that we have been loved radically by God should dramatically impact the way that we love others around us. The joy and the peace that we experience right now as a result of Jesus, not dependent on circumstances, should influence the people around us. They should wonder what is different about them. The religious leaders here are going to miss what God is doing around them because they are focused on King Herod and not King Jesus. And King Herod is going to miss it because he is focused on his own kingship rather than what is going on around him. And watch what he does. He finds out the coming king is gonna be born in Bethlehem. So he comes up with a plan. In verse seven, Herod called a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And so he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And then watch what he says. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. He says to the Magi, these wise men, hey, go and find the child and then tell me where he is and I wanna worship him too. You know, politicians certainly are not known for being the best truth tellers. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And Herod is no exception to this stereotype. We don't know it yet in the story, but he has no intention of going to worship Jesus. But he's obviously very good at his deception because at this point in the story, it becomes clear later that the Magi believe him. They have every intention of going to search for Jesus and coming back and telling Herod exactly where they found him. 
but, but keep reading in verse nine, after the interview happens, after this conversation with Herod is over, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. You can imagine this moment, this long journey that they've been on. They finally arrive and they see Mary with the child. They bow down and they worshiped him. And then at the end of verse 11, they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This entire thing started because the Magi followed a star. I mean, that's what they did. Again, they were, they were astrologers. It was part of their pagan beliefs. They were really good at it. They follow a star. But to me, church, there is so much left out of this story. Like there are so many questions that I have, like what star was it exactly? And how did they find it? And once they found it, how did they interpret everything else from then on forward? How do they know what it means? And, and again, every step of the way, they just get right here. I'm left wondering so many things. You know, how did they know what they knew? It was really as if God was speaking to them along the way. And I don't know the answer to those questions, but, but what I do see that's very interesting to me is that God used the, the beliefs that they already had. And God used the skill sets that they already had developed to lead them to himself. As something as strange as following a star, God uses skills they already had. He speaks their language to lead them to himself, ultimately to lead them to bow down and worship a child. The gospel narrative is absolutely unexpected on every single front. The, the last people that we would expect to worship Jesus, the very last people, are the very first people here on the scene to worship him. And, and what we see in Matthew's gospel is this really common theme of Jesus being worshiped. It happens over and over. And, but it's interesting because in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is speaking to Satan. Satan's trying to tempt him to worship him instead of God. And, and Jesus responds in Matthew 4.10, he says, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus says, only God is worthy of worship. But throughout the gospel of Matthew, several people worship Jesus. We see a leper, a ruler, disciples, a Canaanite woman, mother of James and John, a group of children, women at the tomb. Constantly, Jesus is being worshiped. And what we see when we put these two things together is a very central belief of Christians. It is an absolute essential. It's something that's been agreed upon throughout history. And there are very few things that Christians have agreed upon throughout history, but it's that Jesus is God. Only God is worthy of worship, but several times Jesus is being worshiped. And what's crazy to me is that the very first people to ever worship Jesus were these wise men who trusted a message. The last people we would have expected to trust. I think if we read closely here, there is a warning to those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time. You know, whether you've been following Jesus for a year or five years or 30 years, everybody that we would expect to be in this manger scene, 
Like everybody that we would expect to be at the house with Mary bowed down and worshiping the, the in-breaking Messiah, everyone we'd expect to be there, they're all missing. They're all back in Jerusalem. They're all still expecting God to show up in a different way even though he's already arrived. Are we still aware, if we've been following Jesus for a long time, are we still aware of what God is doing around us? Are we still open to him showing up in new and different ways? Because if not, we might miss it too. They miss it. Instead of them being there, it is the wise men at the scene. And not only did they worship him as a king, you notice they also brought him kingly gifts, the, the famous gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were kingly gifts. Gold is, is this symbolic of this wealth, this earthly kingship. Frankincense, symbolic of an anointing oil for a king. It, 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 you got myrrh, symbolic of an embalming oil. All of these are kingly gifts that they bring him, it really expensive gifts. I love what N.T. Wright says, you know, in, in conclusion of this story, in regards to trusting Jesus, what does it actually look like? N.T. Wright says that we should come to Jesus by whatever route you can. If it's a star in the sky, awesome. Come to Jesus by whatever route you can with the very best gifts you can find. Yeah, you see, I, I love the song, the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? It's one of my favorites. It's one of the first songs I learned how to play once I became a Christian and really got into the Christmas spirit. Uh, one of my good buddies did his own rendition of Mary, Did You Know? with this rap. It's incredible. Email me if you want it. I'll, I'll show him off. It's awesome. But I have my own song that I'm currently working on. It's called Magi, Did You Know? And it's more like Magi, how did you know? Because again, they got everything right this entire time. From reading the star to kind of knowing what it means and where to go, they land in Jerusalem, they talk to the right person, they continue to follow the star and the journey that leads them to Jesus. They bow down and they worship him. I'm left wondering this entire time, Magi, how did you know? How did you get this all so right? And some of, my, some of my suspicions are confirmed in the very last verse. Uh, I love how it ends. Look at Matthew 9, 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream, don't go back to Herod. My, my suspicions are confirmed here. God speaks to them in a dream. I knew there was something going on here. There's just no way they could get it so right this entire time. God speaks to them in a dream. It's like that person that I'm playing chess against online and they're just making all the right moves. Like I'm suspicious something is going on over there. I had the same suspicion with the Magi. I also know I just revealed myself as a chess nerd. Uh, if you see me alone on my phone, that's probably what I'm doing a little bit about me. But the Magi, no matter how they get the message, this time through a dream, they, they clearly got the message. Hey, go home, it's, it's okay to return home, but do not go the same way as you came. Do not go back to King Herod. Uh, clearly he was lying if you didn't know, he has no intention of worshiping Jesus. In fact, like so many others who will come after Herod, he has every intention of killing Jesus. And it's very simple as to why, it's the same reason why everyone else wants to kill him. Jesus is a threat to Herod's kingship. Again, Herod was the king of the Jews. 
and Herod's source of, of joy and peace, his source of hope, it was all rooted in his kingship, in his identity. And Jesus is absolutely a threat to that. His, his source of hope and joy and peace is about to run dry. But church, I would suggest that Jesus is also a threat to all of our kingships today. You know, he calls us to realign our priorities if we follow him. He calls us to cease being the kings and queens of our own lives. And so here we are, final message of 2020. And if 2020 has brought us anything positive, and I don't think everyone would agree with me that it is positive, but I think it's very positive. It's that in 2020, it's been a year that has easily revealed to us where we can put our trust instead of Jesus. I think it reveals to us where we can so easily put our trust instead of Jesus. I mentioned earlier, maybe it's politics for you. If suddenly my candidate wins, I have more hope and joy. Or if, if not, then I don't. You know, maybe for you it's job security. I know that's been a big one for people this time of year. It, it has revealed that we can place our trust in job security rather than Jesus. Maybe for you it's finances. You know, this has been a year where it's been so easy to realize we are trusting finances instead of Jesus. And it's easy to tell. It's like if, if I get that Christmas bonus that I've been waiting for, that I've been expected, suddenly I have more joy. But again, I'd ask, how long does that joy actually last? And what happens when you don't get that Christmas bonus? What happens when you get the Jelly of the Month Club gift card instead, instead the gift that keeps on giving? What happens when that happens? You know, I think a lot of us have put our trust in health and a time of, of COVID has revealed that, that health isn't always the most trustworthy thing to trust in. You know, I, what I've heard though, is that in all of these things, don't worry. Like even if these things let you down this year, they'll be better next year. Like I've heard people say, don't worry, 2020 is almost over as if the flip of a calendar is going to solve all of our problems, as if the flip of a calendar is going to bring about restoration to all that was lost or broken for many of us this year. You see, the reality is that's not gonna happen. These things that we can easily put our trust into are not suddenly going to be more trustworthy in the new year. I would say the good news is that there is a different source who is infinitely deserving of trust. In Christ, there is endless joy and, and peace and hope and love. They flow infinitely from him. Can we continue to trust him and, and seek after him? And dare I say, even worship him like the Magi? And, and can we do it? Even in the moments of life, we're like the Magi, we are being told to run the opposite direction because there are people out to get us. Can we seek him and trust him even in those moments where it's not going our way when it's not going well? You see, the Magi return home and they're not aware of it yet, but they have entered into the same already but not yet tension that you and I live in today. The baby has been born, the kings arrive, they've worshiped him, but now they go home and they still have to wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God. What we see is their journey of trusting God. It's just begun. 
Their journey of trusting God has just begun. I would ask you, where are you at in your journey? If you had to reflect and look back on your life, where is your journey of trusting God at? You know, maybe you're here today and, and your journey of trusting God, it hasn't yet begun. You know, maybe if that's you, you're, you're like the Magi and, and you've been seeking and you've been following and you've been trying to listen for God's prompting. And maybe like the Magi, it's led you close to Jesus and you have this desire, this desire to trust him. If that's you, I would say, I would just repeat Jesus' words to you. I think they're profound. I think they're so simple. His invitation always to people who are seeking him, who are looking to trust him, his invitation is follow me. That's it. And maybe you're here this morning and, and that's a decision that you are ready to make. You are ready to trust Jesus. You are ready to accept his invitation to follow him. I think it's one of the best decisions that you can make. Now, for some of us, maybe we've been following Jesus for a year, for five years, for 10 years, 20 years. You know, may, have we had our trust either shaken or misplaced recently? As we trust God on this journey, has our trust been shaken? You know, maybe, maybe it's been tough. Maybe we're experiencing tough times or, or maybe our trust has been misplaced. You can identify with some of those other things that we can so easily trust in. And you recognize you are taking trust from Jesus and you're placing it elsewhere. My encouragement to all of us is that together, united together, we may follow the example of the Magi we may continue to seek Jesus through whatever route is available to us and that together we would bring the very best gifts that we can find. Church, would you pray with me? God, I pray for those watching right now who have not yet trusted you. God, I pray that they would hear your invitation. The words that you would whisper in their ears are just follow me. God, I pray, them that, I pray that you would invite them on the best journey they could possibly go on a relationship with you. I pray that they would have the courage to accept your invitation and to see where it leads. And God, I pray for those of in this room that, that we've been following you for a long time. God, I, I grieve the, the priests and the religious leaders in this story. They should have been there and yet they missed it. God, I pray that we would not miss it. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the way that you are working around us, to what you are doing. I pray that you would invite us into the story to work with you. God, give us eyes to see you so that the next time you are doing something big, we will be there and we won't miss it. Help us to trust fully and completely in you and let us experience the hope and joy and love and peace that we've talked about throughout this series. God, we love you and we pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen.